Hello, Anchored. How are you doing? I'm so used to saying this to you, Bill and I, when we preach. Although you're not in front of me, I can, in one sense, visualize uh, many of you, because some of you even have sections where you sit um, on a given Sunday, and I see some people right here in front of me and others in that side and over here as well. You sort of are very religious, if you will, about your locations, and that's a good thing, perhaps, I say. Um, I'm here to talk to you about a great passage and one that I hope will encourage your hearts. I pray that the Lord will use it to help you through whatever you're facing in life. And it's a lifelong passage, if you will. And it's from Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're going to take several weeks and work our way through most of the psalm itself. But before we do that, I just want to transition a little bit. Why don't you just pause with me as I go before the Lord and pray and ask for his blessing. Lord, thank you for this time and give us your goodness, grace, and mercy. And we would ask that you would help us um, to hear your word, help me to communicate it, that the word of God would go forth, that the people of God would be encouraged. Thank you even for this um, ability to record and then send the messages out. And um, it's not our preference um, but yet, uh, your word is not bound. So we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, turn with me to Psalm 37. And for this lesson, most likely we're only going to make our way into verse 3. Perhaps at least um, begin to, the key thought in verse 4. But let me read the text for you. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward out wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It will lead only to wrongdoing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Uh, the title for the message is The Key to a Fearless Life. The Key to a Fearless Life. Now, I want you to notice something right away. We see in verse 1, do not fret, do not be envious. And then again, this idea negatively stated, verse 7, do not fret. And then in verse 8, do not fret. It's obviously uh, a theme that runs throughout this psalm as the psalmist wants us to learn from his life experience and how we should be a people who do not fear. 
We gather for an ultimate reason. What is that reason? That we would be a people who find pleasure in serving our Savior and growing in the relationship to that Savior so that our souls can be enlarged. And as our souls are enlarged, we can go into the world, a world that wants to intimidate us, a world that at times wants us to fear, and we can, with a sense of boldness, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this Psalm of David provides guidance on how we can live a moral and God-fearing life. In this moral and God-fearing life, we can live it when we're faced with the provocations that life often brings us. And what David does here, he reflects on the faithfulness of God in his old age. Notice with me, if you will, verse 25, David writes, I have been young and now I am old, yet I've not seen the forsaken, the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. So David writes from the perspective of having lived life. Yes, um, I've gone through this period of my younger days. Now I'm at these final days of life, perhaps even. And he says, but yet God has been faithful throughout. Then he provides wisdom in this psalm for the people of God as they face trials and even the agitators of life. Now, this psalm has an acrostic structure that divides the psalm into wisdom sayings. There are actually 20 wisdom sayings. And what's interesting about it, each beginning with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And I won't give you all the verses, but uh, throughout the psalm, we see these wisdom saying as he walks the people of God through the Hebrew alphabet, giving them these pithy sayings so that they can live a life that is, in fact, fearless, a life that reflects the faithfulness of God, a life that has taken into account how God has been faithful throughout the ages. Psalm 36, 35, and 37 are actually related. All three deal with divine judgment of wicked people. Notice, if you will, um, Psalm 35, and then in verse 8. Psalm 35, in verse 8, it says, Let destruction come upon him unawares, and let the net which he hid catch himself into the very destruction. Let him fall. Also in 36 verse 12, we see it there. There the the evildoers or the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. And then in Psalm 37 verse 2, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Also in verse 9. For evildoers will be cut off, but in contrast, those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. All three Psalms really indicate the prayers of the righteous will be answered. But God is going to, through those prayers, execute judgment on the wicked. Therefore, if my prayers are going to be answered, and therefore, if God is going to execute justice, his perfect justice and his perfect timing, therefore, the godly need not fret over the wicked, which is what we see. Verse one, verse seven, verse eight. Don't fret. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated 
by them. Now, in verses 1 through 11 in this psalm, you'll notice that there are 11 positive imperatives, and then there are three negative imperatives. And when we follow these imperatives throughout, uh, they act as keys to how we can live a tranquil life in a world that seeks to rob you of peace and the security that is found in the Lord. These keys really help David. And his readers know that God will judge the wicked and he will, in fact, vindicate the righteous. There's some key words and phrases that I want you to notice Uh, right here in verses one through eight. Notice again, he says, do not fret. Then he says in verse three, trust in the Lord, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness, delight in the Lord, commit to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it forth. Rest in the Lord. Cease from anger. And then again, verse eight, do not fret. We are people who should not fear. We can live a fearless life. This is not an irresponsible life where we don't take into account factors around us. But nonetheless, we can be a people who are in fact fearless, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of the God that we serve, who fights for us, who is there for us, who will vindicate us. Now, let me say something uh, from the very onset here that to live a fearless life doesn't mean that you will have a life that is free of pain and difficulty and heartache. David had it. But what David is saying throughout my life, I can say this emphatically. God was faithful. God is a faithful God. So I want us to notice in verses one to four in Psalm 37, we're going to focus on five commands that I think will help us develop our confidence in the Lord when we're surrounded by the wicked schemes of men. And we can divide it into two parts. The first part is this, verses 1 and 2. Do not fear because the wicked will be judged. That's the first major consideration. Do not fear because the wicked will be judged. Verses 1 and 2, again, I read it. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. And essentially what he's saying is this, this, don't fear or be envious of what is temporary. We should never think of the temporary. Our, Our life is bound to the eternal. Our life is bound to things that are substantive because our life is bound to the person of God himself. We are in Christ and being in Christ. Now we have been transferred out of a life that thinks of things that are temporary and one that thinks of things that are eternal. And that mindset must be a part of how we live our everyday life. Notice he says here, um, do not fret. Uh, what he's saying is don't, don't burn or literally don't get kindled. Don't get worked up over when you look around and you see uh, the 
people of the world and how they live and how they approach you and how they maybe even at times castigate you. Don't get worked up over it. Don't burn inside. Don't let this kindle inside of you because what one may do if it is not arrested properly, if one's heart is burning towards the people on the outside, if they're constantly envious of the people on the outside, then your heart cannot possibly be fixed on things that are eternal. The effort, the energy that's involved in something like that. The distractions that come with it will in fact distract you from this calling that God has for your life. To live with an eternal perspective for the glory of God. And what he's saying here is that those who threaten you will pass away. And the things that are tempting you um, to be off course, if you will, they will come to nothing. It's important that we notice uh, throughout scripture that the command that we see so often and even most often is do not fear. We're not supposed to fear. We fear only one. And really the key to a fearless life is to fear. But the question is, what do we fear? The key to a fearless life is to fear the living God. And when we fear his word and we have a fear of his awesomeness, we have a fear of his person. Then we can live a fearless life. There's good reason for this command. Um, When one fears by default, it means that we're not trusting in the sovereign hand of God. Simply put, fear and faith are in fact polar opposites. Because it's not possible for me to have a genuine, growing, dynamic faith, but yet fear the circumstances of life. And because they are opposites, the child of God must make a decision to do what? To demonstrate faith when his faith is challenged by the ungodly values and attacks of the world. There will be moments when their values or their lack of value will create difficult circumstances for you in life, in your life journey. You will work around people that don't have these values that we do. You will be around people who don't have the worldview that we do. And that can create a problem for you in your workplace. It can create a problem for you in the family. It can create a problem for you socially. But nonetheless, we are to be people who can be bold and fearless. Fear is perhaps even this. In some measure, it is an affront, an affront to the living God. Because it's allowing the circumstances of our life to overshadow the greatness of God. Now, of course, God's greatness is never blanketed, never totally blanketed by distrust. Distrust is a decision that each of us at times may make where we say, I don't see all of God's sovereignty and his greatness. I don't appreciate it the way that I should. I'm, an, I'm not allowing it to order my responses in life. And what happens is God's sovereign hand is in part, and I do say in part, in part veiled with the eyes of doubt. Let me look at some scriptures with you. Um, about this idea of envy. 
Look with me if we go to Psalm, Psalm 27, Psalm 27, and verse, actually Psalm 23, 17, Psalm 23, 17, it says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Then in verse one of of Proverbs 24, Proverbs 24, it says, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. So proverbial wisdom, 2317, don't be envious of them, but in fact, you should fear the Lord. Proverbs 24 and one, don't be envious of them, nor even desire to be with them. Don't lust after their company and the things that come with their company. And then in verse 19 of Proverbs 24, we see there, do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. And we remember, if you will, in Psalm 73 and the Psalm of Asap and what did Asaph have to come to grips with. He, he gave an account of his life when he looked around and he saw the wicked and how they live. And he saw that they don't have the troubles as with other men. And they seem to be enjoying life so fully. But he said he came to his senses because even at one point in time, Asaph's attitude towards God was not correct. And he came to his senses and he says, well, yes, I paused and I thought about their end. Then why would I be envious of that? Yes, life for me is not going to be a, a bed of roses all the time. But I know the end. Uh, the wicked enjoy life right now at times. And we may look at them and see how is it that they don't have the troubles that should come? Why don't they facing some of the consequences that come with their actions? Uh, they will one day. And we have to, like David, have a mindset that says, why should I be envious of them? Why should I want the things that they want and desire that seems to compel them, that seems to satisfy them? Because those things ultimately will not bring me satisfaction. They're not compelling ultimately. There is a high price to pay for rejecting God. And the wicked will pay that price. That's not an envious position at all. We have the envious position. Those who are in Christ, who know Christ, who have a real purpose in life, a real focus in life, and have something awaiting us that even words cannot describe. This portion that we're dealing with can be divided into this second part, and it would be this, verses 3 and 4. Do trust the Lord because he is your self-satisfaction. So first, do not fear because the wicked will be judged, and then do trust the Lord because he is your satisfaction. So this section begins, again, with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet in verse 3, and it says here, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The, the advice that David gives here contrasts with the proceeding. The proceeding is look at the evildoers, but don't envy them. 
Don't be worked up over them. They are going to pass away. But in contrast to them, you trust in God. Not like them when they trust in self and their abilities and their resources. You trust in the Lord. What David advises is really a very direct and simple principle of the Christian life. To replace the envy of a wavering heart with the trust in the one who offers stability and eternal value. The command to trust is supported in the verse by three other commands that help really define what it means to trust in the Lord. But let's work our way through it. Trust. What does it mean to trust, to to rely, to have confidence in, to have security? And see, we see an opposite. It's the opposite of the wicked who trust in self and their resources. Psalm 4.9 says this, you alone make me dwell securely. Psalm 16.9, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh will dwell securely. Why? Because I have a trusting relationship in you, the living God. You are that source of stability and eternal value. Now, these supporting commands of trust. What are we supposed to do if we trust the Lord? Trust the Lord and do good. Here's another opposite. Do good as opposed to those who are evildoers. It's, we are contrasted with them. We're to be the light in the midst of darkness. If we're to live this fearful Christian life, we're to make sure that people can look to us and say there is something that is distinguishable about you and it actually stands in contrast to the alternatives in the world. What were some of the uh, manifestations of the evil Doers at this time. Well, they attack the righteous without cause. The psalmist would say elsewhere uh, that they deny the existence of God, and that's why they're considered fools. They live as if God will not judge. They pervert justice. They reverse morality. Even in Isaiah 5 and 20, there are people who call good evil and evil good. They harm the innocent. They devise ways to commit evil deeds. And when we think about in the New Testament, Paul spoke about the evil of the world and evildoers, even prophetically. They are lovers of self. They're lovers of money. They're boastful. They're arrogant. They're revilers. They're disobedient to parents. They're ungrateful. They're unloving. They're unholy. They're irreconcilable. They, they're malicious gossips. They, they have no self-control. Paul would even say that they're brutal. They're haters of God. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're conceited. They are lovers of pleasure. And they hold to, he would say, a form of godliness. It's a, a powerless morality. And then now when we take into account these descriptions of the wicked, the manifestations of the wicked in some ways, how do we see it in society today? Well, we see it in humanism, a a false view that man is sufficient in himself. We see it in relativism. A world without absolutes is in fact a world without a spiritual compass. We see it in hedonism, this insatiable desire for worldly pleasures and self-satisfaction. Remember, uh, I made a point earlier 
that we must find our satisfaction in God. And this is a heading that we're considering now. Trust in the Lord because he is your satisfaction. We see it in today's society and moralism. This is a confused attempt to live morally without God. It's, it's creating a code of behavior without the scriptures as the guideline. Or it's a twisted view of scriptures in this m- morality. We see it in narcissism. It's just the expression of a, a self-centered society. And it manifests itself in many different ways. And, and all of these expressions in the world system are enforced today. We see it in abortion and homosexuality and Christian intolerance where uh, everyone else's faith seems to have an inroad or, or there is even compassion towards their views. There is tolerance towards their views except for ours, except for our God, except for our faith, except for our scriptures. But we are derided and we're limited and we're excused by the world. And even some of our brothers and sisters around the world are executed by the world because they're evildoers. There's political corruption around us. There is religious deviation. We see the downward spiral of theology and Christian morality and our great commission purpose. There's inconsistent justice. Of course there is. Because at times, those that are the most powerful are those that that can at times even buy justice. See, we're to stand in contrast to the world. All the things that I describe, we're to be the opposite of that because we are people who trust in the Lord and do good. And why do we do good? We do good so people can see our lives are standing in contrast to what the world is offering them. And there will be some sense in which that's appealing to them. Jesus Christ, his life, people saw him. It was a life lived differently than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He stood out. Even in his words, he stood out. And they would say, never has a man spoken as this man. Never had a man lived as that man lived. And we are to be that same. We are Christ's representatives here. We are to trust the Lord as Christ trusted. And we're to do good even as Christ did good. David's advice in his old age, trust God. He is absolutely faithful. Do good while you have the power to do it. Why should I envy those who's in is destruction. We have no real solutions to life's issues. I should not. I cannot. The evildoers have no spiritual stability, but the people of God have just the opposite. Notice the next word. If we go back to Psalm 37, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then the next word, dwell in the land. People who trust God are people who dwell in the land. What does it mean? Simply to live in a place and to make a home. And usually it's for a long period of time. Uh, You see the word in Genesis 9 and 27, uh, Japheth dwelling in the tents of Shem. So to dwell in the land, to occupy the land. And here's another opposite. Here's another opposite here. Now, to dwell in the land is the opposite of the evildoers. And what do they do? Verse two, for they will wither. It will come to an end. 
live an opposite life. What's that next word in this text? Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Uh, it means to associate with, to, to graze even, to feed. And here's another opposite. So here, to cultivate something, to feed, to graze, if you will, um, it's the opposite of what? Notice the end of verse 2. They will wither like the grass and fade like the green herb. So we think about cultivating something. We think uh, perhaps someone has a garden. As a matter of fact, I just spent some time building a raised, uh, at least bed for my wife. I went to home, um, Lowe's and put this together for her. And she has planted some other herbs and planted some vegetables. And she'll cultivate it so that it will grow. And here's the opposite. He says here, they fade like the green herb. It has a period of time to sprout, but then it fades away. But you are the opposite. You're to be cultivating something. You're to be growing. You're to be nurturing. But what are we to nurture? What are we to nurture? It says, nurture or graze on, feed on faithfulness. Feed on faithfulness. Interesting. Let me read to you from... um, Zephaniah 3.13, it says, The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. They will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. This, this feeding or cultivating and, and grazing and no one will make them tremble because there will come a point in time where the people of God will be so blessed. Their enemies will absolutely be wiped away. No one will make them tremble. Now, in certain contexts, this word for cultivate, uh, the lexical range can carry the idea of befriending. Let me give you some examples in Proverbs 13 and 20. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you befriend fools, guess what? You're going to pay the consequences for it. Proverbs 28 and 7. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates, humiliates his father. 29 and 3, a man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. Now, because of this possibility, lexically, um, some translations or several translations render the verse, make a friend of faithfulness. So it would read this way, dwell in the land and Make a friend of faithfulness. However, uh, I believe there's a, a better alternative, which I like cultivate, but here is what I would prefer. I think is more appealing. Feed on his faithfulness. It, this is so important for us. Uh, the major key for us to sustain a heart of endurance when there is opposition. If we're going to live a life of fearlessness, if you will, in the midst of challenges and our enemies of our faith and of our own souls, we cannot dine on the temporary meals of the world. These things that have no substance. We must, in fact, feed on the faithfulness of God's sovereign works in our lives 
and those around us. The world has no real meal to offer us. Nothing that has any lasting value. But we have a God who is absolutely faithful. The world offers what shallow relationships, friends that may even lead one to destruction. Drugs that take a person's mind on a high and it drops them into the pit of hell. Images that make you feel inadequate or images that pull your thoughts and your mind away from faithfulness to a spouse or to a friend or to your commitments to God. Promises of con- contentment that are never realized. These are, this is what the world offers. Christ, in his words, ring so true at this point. He says that I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Feed on the faithfulness of God. How do we feed on the faithfulness of God? We think on it. And this is a part of the dwelling in the land. Dwell in the land. Be there and focus on the faithfulness of your God. All of us have an account of God's faithful acts in our life. Many occasions when we can think about how God has been faithful to us in so many, so many ways. David writes in his old age, as we've noted in verse 25, and David has this rich and very rewarding resume of God's faithfulness in his life. Remember, here's this boy shepherd who was protected and given a victory that no one else thought was possible. God was faithful. Remember him as an anointed yet not coronated king who would escape the wrath of a fading king, Saul. A mighty soldier who would go into battle and he would secure the land for the people of God and his son would have a land of peace because what? God was with him. Yes, he was an unquestionable strategist, but in the end, David's victories came as a result of God's faithfulness and grace in his life. But he is also an adulterer who found forgiveness in God's steadfast love and mercy. God is faithful. He would also be a a disheartened father who would be on the run from his own son. But even in that, God was faithful. And now David is an old man whose ministry is serving him well by recounting the faithfulness of God. All of us have a resume and what we must do to that resume is one might do with a natural resume. At time, we need to update it, if you will. And each day is an update to our resume with God that says he is in fact faithful. What can you add to that resume even today? How has God been faithful to you? Don't take it for granted. Continue to build that resume in your mind. Store it away in the archives of your soul so that in those moments of life, when the world wants us to doubt, the world wants us to fear, you can be as David said, you can trust God, you can do good, you can dwell in the land and you can feed on the faithfulness of God. And there may be moments in life 
when you may have doubts. And what you must do is not allow those doubts to overshadow the sovereign hand of God. And you must pull from those archives and say, no, God is in fact faithful. Let me feed on this. Let me chew on this. Let me meditate on this. Let me remind my soul that I serve a faithful God. This life journey can be difficult at times. I mean, it has valleys in it. It's not always peaks. Sometimes we are faced a great difficulty. Who's going to be there with us? The Lord will be. The Lord will be. He's a faithful God. And what we must do is, in one sense, like the cow that chews the cud, and he chews it and regurgitates and chews it and regurgitates and chews it again, we must be the same way. We're going to get to verse 4 the next time we gather. Are you hear me? But I just want us to close with this thought. Even right now, perhaps uh, with a pencil and pad. And if you can't do it now, perhaps later, what you can do is go back and say, how has God been faithful to me? Let me expand the resume of God's faithfulness in my life. Then ask a friend or ask a loved one, how has God been faithful to you? Because what we have to do is in our own personal resume, which is expansive, but we also feed on the resume of God's faithfulness in those around you. Stories that we've heard of through the ages of God's faithfulness to a missionary, to a preacher, to just an everyday person. Those should encourage our souls. The many stories that we see here in God's word, the many stories even in just David's life of faithfulness. God is faithful to us because God is faithful to himself. Why is God faithful to himself? Because God, above all things, desires that he would be recognized and glorified. And so he is ordering all the the circumstances of our life to bring about that end. And we are privileged to participate in God glorifying himself. Be a part of this. Trust the Lord. Do good in contrast to the world. Dwell in the land, that is, be with God's people. Be in, in this land of righteousness, if you will. Live out righteousness. Walk the worthy walk. And then feed on his faithfulness. It's the best meal for the Christian soul. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word you give us, your grace that you show us. And help us to be faithful to you, our great and faithful God. Amen.